Belichick is is out of his mind. I don't know what's wrong with this guy. Can we please, can we please get rid of this guy? He sucks. You know what? I hate this team. I'm not even a Boston fan anymore. I'm done. I'm done. I can't do it. I can't. You're listening to Jake's Take on Curry College Radio. It's been the best 12 years of my life. It's a hell of a run. And I can't forget you, Patriot Nation. You guys have welcomed me and my family to a region we do not know. We didn't know. But now, I'm one of you. I'm going to leave you guys with two words. Foxborough, forever. Yeah, well, that's the story of the week. Here in New England, that's Julian Edelman announces his retirement from football in the New England Patriots and what a career it was. And we have so much to admire him for and to remember him for. Welcome into Jake's Take on Curry College Radio, WMLN 91.5 FM, <clears throat> Milton, Boston. So yeah, Jules called it a career this week and... Sad to see him go. Sad to see him go. Definitely one of the great Patriots of the last 20 years, and we'll be talking about that on the show tonight. Once again, it's Jake's Take on Curry College Radio. You can reach us on 91.5 on the FM dial here in Milton, and you can also find us on the TuneIn app. You search WMLN. That's how you hear Curry College Radio here. Uh, and... So Julian Edelman is on the docket tonight for Jake's Take. We also I got a lot of music I want to play for you tonight. There's some there's a lot of albums and a couple of singles. My favorite singles that um have a release anniversary that were dropped uh, on this date, however many years ago, back in the 1970 or 80 whatever. So there's that. Uh, we also got some Bruins talk for you. Uh, they had a big day at the trade deadline. We'll talk about that. They made a deadline move. How about that? Didn't think the Bruins were going to do it, but some of us didn't think they were going to do it, but they did it. Jason Tatum they finally decided to wake up. We'll get to that a little later. And are the Red Sox the hottest team in baseball? And in the last half hour, I'll get to some stuff that I read and saw this week that uh, has just been on my mind. So it's all coming up here on Jake's Take as we take you right up until 11 p.m., it's going to be a fun couple of hours, and if you can't catch the whole show tonight, I'll have the podcast uploaded by tomorrow. You can click the link in my Instagram bio. It'll take you right to it. But yeah, Julian Edelman, you heard him in the audio there to start the show. He called it a career this week, and it's it's definitely sad to see him go. One of the great Patriots of the last 20 years, probably of all time, just the type of guy that we love around here checked every single box of a New England fan favorite. But with all that being said, it shouldn't be a surprise that he's retiring people. It really shouldn't. If you've been following this guy at all, his knee is completely shot. And just a week or so ago, there was a report in the Boston Herald 
and I don't remember who who wrote it, but uh, they said that his knee can't even be completely fixed at this point. So he shouldn't come back. I mean, he shouldn't. That's just, come on. If his knee is completely shot, then don't come back, man. I want Jules to have a, you know, I want Jules to enjoy retirement. I want Jules to to be able to, you know, be who he is off the field. I, you know, I want to see that side of Julian Edelman long after he retires. So for him to keep playing football at this point, it just, it just wouldn't be ideal. And you can't really, you can't really fault the guy for, for calling it a, a, a career now, because honestly, it's, it's a, it's a good time for him to do it. And, you know, of course, when star players retire, there's always, there's always all kinds of talk, but, but the, the definite, the thing that surprised me was the fact that this was a surprise, right? CBS Sports had an article that was headlined, Edelman's surprising retirement, and I didn't even read the rest of the headline because what about this is surprising? Seriously, what at all? He's been an injury risk for years now. He missed a full season a few years ago because he had a torn ACL, and he missed most of last year. He he plays like an animal, like he, he I, I com- give him complete credit for that. Like, but at, with his playing style, what what point do you say I got enough? Fractured both of his feet, separated his shoulder, been paid all kinds of money, won three Super Bowls, plays for a team where nothing is looking super promising for the next few years. Why the hell would he not get out now? It's like the it's it's. If you're him, I mean, you have to get out now. There's no other time to do it. So I I can't really fault Jules or I'm not. And I'm, I guess I'm not saying I'm not saying anybody's faulting him necessarily, but I can't really say that this is surprising to me. Because if you look at this guy's career of late, it's been. It's been pretty injury plagued. So I don't understand how that can possibly be a surprise. I'm glad he can, like I said, I'm glad he can move on to being the jewels and being the personality that we've all come to love him for. And, and, and listen, I admire the hell out of his, his relentless pursuit to be great and the reckless abandon that he played with is, is the part of him that, that captivated everyone around here. And there was an article in The Ringer which is a great a great website Bill Simmons's his website Julian Edelman was the mo- was the NFL's most unlikely star Edelman retired Monday after a 12-year career in New England in which he went from a 7th round pick to a Super Bowl MVP who earned Tom Brady's eternal trust You know it start and and it goes in the articles by uh Nora Princiati, I think Nora Princiati, I think I'm getting that right. But it starts off with a whole with a whole thing about punt returners. And it says it you know, there's part of it that says it takes hundreds if not thousands of reps to understand the myriad ways that different types of punts travel through the air and the environmental factors at play. And you know, but but 
it, a little later it says it says during an interview uh at uh, in 2018 Bill Belichick explained the nuances of the job and why it's so difficult to teach and I asked him for an example of someone who had successfully picked it up despite a lack of pre-NFL experience at the position Julian Edelman he replied without missing a beat it's just it, it really goes to show you that Julian Edelman had to pick up something that was completely foreign to him completely foreign and it just really is it's part of what's so awesome about his story in the NFL and it's why he's one of my one of my absolute favorite patriots absolute favorites and there's there's no doubt in my mind that he will be in the Patriots Hall of Fame but there's also been there's also been other uh talk about who uh who makes it into the Hall of Fame and whether or not Julian Edelman's going to make it into the Hall of Fame. And I don't I, I don't know about that. But uh, and, and oh, and one other thing I did want to say is, do you remember in that Super Bowl against the Seahawks, he caught a ball over the middle <clears throat> and he got absolutely laid out, just pummeled into the ground. He gets up with a nice grunt and he goes, "I love getting hit." And seeing that made me respect him even more than I already did. But to say Julian Edelman is going to be in Canton one day is just, I don't, I don't know if you can do that. He will definitely be in the Patriots Hall of Fame. And I think he was unmatched in the playoffs, but I just don't think there's enough there to enshrine him. Wes Welker had better numbers than Julian Edelman, and I don't think Wes Welker should even get in. I will say this, people who are immediately shooting it down and saying absolutely not are practically you know people are getting offended oh julian edelman can't be in the hall of fame like chill out i think some people aren't respecting him enough because there's always this kind of talk when a star player retires so let it happen and they'll decide he's not going to make it in he's 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 probably not going to make it in just if you're being realistic and the other thing is if heinz ward isn't in the hall of fame then it, julian edelman won't be either heinz ward Julian Edelman's numbers don't compare to Heinz Ward's and Heinz Ward isn't close to the Torrey Holt's not in the Hall of Fame Heinz Ward's not in the Hall of Fame Julian Edelman won't be in the Hall of Fame that's what I'm going by so but people getting offended by someone even starting the conversation is just like you, you put some respect on Julian Edelman's name I guess but a, a great patriot one of the best and I'm honestly, it, it, we we don't have to worry about him. I'm honestly glad that we don't have to worry about him being an injury risk and can move forward with the future of the receiving core, which looks pretty good. You know, Aguilar, Bourne, I got faith in what these guys can do, and I think hey, Cam Newton will be better. But how much better? And if you completely suck and you get better, then still, you if he goes from the 30, I think he was like the 30th, 32nd ranked quarterback in the league to the the 20th, or the if you go from the 32nd or the 30th best quarterback in the league to the 20th, you still aren't don't have that good of a quarterback. So, but the Patriots receiving core nonetheless looks bright, and I'm glad that they can go forward with some, you know, it's gonna it's terrible to see Jules go, but there's some clarity there. There's at least some clarity, and 
and I, I'm excited for it. But as far as that quarterback position, what do you think about this? What do you think about the fact that Bill Belichick had two chances to see Justin Fields at a pro day and didn't go to either one? Justin Fields, the quarterback of Ohio State, had his second pro day today. And Bill Belichick wasn't there. There was Patriots personnel there. Josh McDaniels was there and a, a few other of the, the high-up people were there, but Bill wasn't. And can you really draft a guy who you've never seen throw live? But I've I, I've basically narrowed it down to this, and uh, and we'll go into uh we'll go into some stones after this. But the Patriots, it's pretty simple. The Patriots are going to sit tight with the fifteenth pick in the draft, and they won't move up or down. They're not going to trade up. They're not going to trade down. They will want a Justin Fields or a Mac Jones to fall to them, or a Trey Lance. And that probably won't happen, but there's an outside chance that it can. So they'll either take the quarterback and then do what they're going to do for the rest of the draft, or if one of the top guys doesn't fall to them, they'll draft defense first and take Kellen Mond from Texas A&M or Kyle Trask from Florida in the second round. And I got to say, I don't really have a problem with either one. I don't really have a problem with either one. So... I'll leave you with that on the Patriots. We'll talk some Bruins after the break. Uh, for right now, though, uh, one of my favorite albums, Aftermath, by the Rolling Stones, released on... <clears throat> Excuse me. Whoa. Eh, having a little coughing fit there on Jake's take. Uh, Aftermath by the Rolling Stones, released April 15th, 1966. That's That anniversary is coming up here at midnight. Hey, you want to know what also what anniversary is also today? Coming up in I it must be like just a few hours will be the exact 109th anniversary of when the Titanic struck the iceberg in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that eerie? Exactly 109 years ago tonight the Titanic struck the iceberg. I used to be obsessed with the Titanic when I was a kid, so I, I I had to make sure I would mention that here tonight. It's April 14th. It's also the anniversary. It's going to be the 109th anniversary this week of Fenway Park opening, and we'll get to the Red Sox a little bit later. But Aftermath by the Rolling Stones, which featured this one that you all know, that I know you all know. Paint it black, followed by Under My Thumb on Jake's Take. Don't go anywhere. Three on two the other way. Hall feeds on the line right side. Smith. Saucers back to Hall. Couldn't pull off a shot. Smith shoots. He scores. Craig Smith got a loose biscuit at the bottom of the right wing circle and whistled it inside the near post. Bruins two. Sabres one. Along the far side. <laughs> Miller just drilled Dylan Cousins with a check. And Cousins will slowly head off the ice. And behind the plate, Thompson's going to drop with Miller. Miller, a couple of rights. Drops Thompson. Dropped him again. Jake DeBrusque with a chance to win it. DeBrusque wheels into the slot. Shoots. He scores! A rocket top shelf by Dustin Tokarski. And the Boston Bruins 
shootout over the Buffalo Sabres, and they've won all three matchups this year. They did it, didn't they? They made some moves at the deadline. They came back. They surprised us. They made a move at the deadline. They made a couple of them, actually. The Boston Bruins did. Welcome back into Jake's Take. That's the call of uh, last night's game on the Sports Hub. Uh, the Bruins. I don't. I still don't know what to. I still don't know how to feel. I still don't know how to feel after I feel like I. Sh- I after a week of. The the weekend that was just uh, that thing, whatever that was against the Capitals the other day, the eight to one thing that they did on whatever night that was. On, I mean th- that second game against the Capitals, it was just horrible. It was horrible. You, but Carlo McAvoy Miller all out for that game. You you're not gonna playing against the Capitals. There's you have no chance. But the Bruins made a deadline move, folks. They went out and they got a guy, a guy at the deadline, Taylor Hall. Didn't love him last night, but he showed flashes of good, and I like, I like the way he moves. I like how he moves, especially through the neutral zone. He's got some good hands, and Fluto Shinzawa in the Athletic, there, uh, the the Bruins columnist in the Athletic, says Hall, officially scoreless in his black and gold debut, impacted the game in other areas prior to Craig Smith's goal. Hall helped gain a clean entry by carrying the puck through center ice, fighting off Dylan Cousins' back check and finding his right wing. He landed two shots on goal in overtime. He was dependable on the walls, which is, eh, I don't know about that. Hall, in other words, was a dependable NHL forward. He certainly creates some space, Coach Bruce Cassidy said of the number two left wing, acquired late on Sunday night with Curtis Lazar, for Andres Bjork and a 2021 second rounder. So that was the trade, if you didn't hear about it. It was Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar from the Buffalo Sabres for Anders Bjork and a 2021 second round pick. <clears throat> Anders Bjork, by the way, that was uh, that was a funny story last night. We'll get to that in a, in a few minutes here. But I like how Hall moves. But last night, he he looked like he had the jitters a little bit. I don't know. It looked like it was a bit of a shock for him, being with the new team. He looked like he wasn't saying much. I don't know. I didn't see him talking a lot. You see, the the camera pans to these guys during the games. You see him talking sometimes. And I I didn't see a lot of body language from him. It was kind of just dull. So... That's probably a new team thing. He's been on a bad team all year. He's been on bad teams for most of his career. But it's probably just a very new environment for him. He probably walked into that locker room and was like, whoa, what the hell is this? I mean, I'm serious. It's probably what he did. That is probably what he did. And I don't blame him because that's a, it, it's a, it's a high-pressure situation and, and all of that, but Hopefully that's that's all that it was last night. I mean, because what we saw last night, I mean, was yeah, okay, but I'm not I'm not 
looking for that going forward, and I don't want that to be the ceiling we got here. That I mean, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than that from Taylor Hall. And cut him some slack. He hasn't played in 10 games because he, the Sabres sat him out, and it's something that they do in the league because you can't trade injured players, and the Sabres were thinking about trading him at the deadline. So they sit him out to so that he doesn't get hurt, so that they're allowed to trade him, which is exactly what they did. He only went to Buffalo on a one-year contract last year. And they're the worst team in the league. And he's got two goals, only one of which is in regulation. So, But the thing is, is that he was the MVP of the league not three years ago. So that's why he's cheap. And that's why he came along with another guy who you can put on the fourth line. Who you didn't, and you didn't have to pay a lot for him. Andres Bjork is, I'm sorry, but if he's got any more improving to do, please don't let it be here. And they they moved on from him, and a tw- the second round. I can't treat a second round pick like it doesn't matter. Bergeron was a second round pick. I think Marshan was a second round pick. Krejci, I believe, was also a second round pick. So you can't pretend like that pick trading away the pick doesn't matter, but Anders Bjork, I think, has hit his ceiling. So I'm not really worried about what the Bruins paid. And that's the good thing here. That's the win in this deal. Because the Sabres need all the picks they can take, and it it really is ugly up there. And any kind of fresh new faces that they can get, it's... It's good for them, and I think Anders Bjork will bring something to that team, but I just I, I think his time was done here. He just was done here. But Taylor Hall, you know, he he must know that that he's got to salvage his career here. He might hang around in the league for a while after this because of his skill and his and the value of his name and everything. But if he doesn't have a big end of the season, what value does his name really have? 11 years in the league, you want to know how many coaches he's played under? 11. 11 coaches in 11 years. That's wild, folks. That's that that's I I heard that and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Couldn't believe it. 11 coaches in 11 years. And some people some people said that that kind of starts to make him look like the bad guy. But I don't know. You got to you got to um you got to just see how this thing plays out, I guess. But he must know that he has to salvage his career here. He's got to know that. He's got to know you have to have a really nice stretch here for the Bruins to end the season. Otherwise, you're going to be sent walking and you might not like what you find. You might not you might not get a big role if you don't make a splash here at the end. He said he wants to be a Bruin for a couple of years. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I I I I like the trade. I like the trade. But it could end up being an absolute faceplant for the team, and that's why I'm kind of on the edge of my seat here. And I think Bruins fans should be too. Like, there's a lot at stake here. Because, yeah, you didn't give a lot up, but 
is this going to be enough for this group to go on a run one last time? I don't know. I don't. It, it didn't look like it last night, but again, Curtis Lazar and Taylor Hall had just driven down from from Buffalo, and the Bruins got some other guys. They got Mike Riley. They got Curtis Lazar, like I just said, and I didn't see a ton of uh, of Curtis Lazar other than he's a pest. And he's good for that fourth line because he he plays with some energy, and and he was kind of a pain in the ass to play against last night, which is which is exactly what the fourth line needs. Sick and tired of that fourth line just just having no energy. That's supposed to be your energy shift. You can't get any energy out of that fourth line. So good good on them for doing that. Good on Sweeney, Good on Don Sweeney for getting that taken care of because that fourth line needed some help. They needed some help. There was no energy coming from anywhere down there, so I'm glad Curtis Lazar is here. I think he'll bring some energy there. Mike Riley, I, I liked what I saw on on the back end there last night. I'm glad they added him as well, and I didn't notice much other than he was involved in all three zones. He was good. He got into the corners in the offensive end. He was He was pinching. In the offensive end, and I saw him use his body a few times too. He he was he was good. The reality is, for you know, it can be hard to see a D man like that after just one game. You know, it can be hard to judge him. It's sometimes it's a little easier to judge a forward after one game, but one game is 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 not is judging judging someone after one game is 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 tough to do any way you slice it. But it's tough to do with a defenseman even more so. But it took it took me a little bit to form an opinion about. Uh, Charlie McAvoy so uh, there's a lot of hard metrics for knowing how good a defenseman is but I liked what I saw from Riley last night he was involved in all three zones and it was really exciting I I think that they need that kind of physical presence except especially when you know they're getting injured on that back end there and you need depth there it's just I'm glad that they added him they needed to do that they needed to shore up the back end and they did it and they also added scoring, hopefully. That's the big question mark here for the Boston Bruins. Did you actually add scoring? And so we'll see. If we'll, we'll go a little bit more into Fluto Shinzawa's column here. Um, uh, Bruce Cassidy, uh, you know, talking about Halls and his 16 minutes, 43 seconds of ice time. He was with Craig Smith and David Krejci, by the way. He got three shots on goal, and two of them came in the overtime in the three-on-three. So that's the kind of thing with this guy's career is that his, his, his stats are distracting. He had 39 goals a few years ago. It was his MVP year. I believe it was 2000, 2018. And... He had 39 goals, 28 of which were on the power play. So don't be fooled by the the stats here. Like last night, three shots on goal, two in overtime. Hall closed out the extra session session with a uh, back check on Casey Middlestat. Yeah, back checking is something I wanted to talk about too. The back checking, of course, when... The Bruins are playing in their offensive zone and the game starts to go the other way. Well, what do the offensive players do? Do they hustle back or do they just glide? Um, well, some of them hustle and some of them don't. 
And that's a problem with this team. That's a huge problem with this team. They taught us in in mites. They they I'm I shouldn't say us. I never played in at the mites level, but they teach you in mites that you got to hustle. They teach you very very early to to get back with with the game when it goes to the other side. And that's an exaggeration. They don't teach you that in in mites when you're 4 years old, but you know what I mean? They teach you when you're young to get back on defense in any sport. You know, in basketball, you got to hustle back there on defense. And so when I watch the Bruins game and they show that overhead camera from behind the goal and Jake DeBrusque is just not skating back to try and interrupt the play and interrupt the rush. God, it's so frustrating to see that. It's so maddening to see Jake DeBrus do that. But, uh, you know, a, a couple more things on the Bruins. Bruce Cassidy says here, Taylor's a great player. Or, I'm sorry, this is this is Craig's. Uh, to get a guy of Taylor's magnitude, uh, knowing we could use the extra layer of secondary scoring was big for our guys, Cassidy said. So, it's a shot in the arm for the team. I think that's what it is. I think that's an, an important thing. I think that the team should have a surge of confidence here and they should feel... The fact that a trade was made should motivate you. Should say, hey, this team, this franchise wants to make a run. And this fan base wants to make a run. It's kind of time to hunker down and, and do it if you're going to do it. But, I, you know, a, a couple of things with the Bruins. I don't like seeing replays of the opposing team coming down on the rush and these forwards just gliding on the back check. What the hell is that? But it's Jake DeBrusque especially. I mean, can you please try, dude? Can you try? They're paying you $4 million bucks a year. CNHL, can you try? I mean, what are we watching here? You got to try in professional sports to succeed, to be a good player. And I'm sick and tired of these forwards who they get the puck and they can fly down the ice offensively just fine. But as soon as it's time to go back there and play defense and back check, like all you hockey players know you got to do, he's just not doing it. I'm not seeing it. I see it in every game that he he just he doesn't do it. He doesn't back check. It's like the basketball. It's like the James Harden guy who doesn't play or Carmelo Anthony who doesn't play defense. Just all about the score, all about what they can, the numbers they can put up and not about anything that they can do defensively or with their, you know, with with their other skills that they don't like to use as much. The, and in that game last night, there's a couple of times where the Buffalo Sabres could have put themselves over the top in that game. And I thought Jeremy Swayman was completely out of the net that one time there late in the second period. I think Kevin Miller, it was Kevin Miller who blocked a rebound. That was otherwise a, a wide open net if he wasn't there. Bjork had a shot in this. Anders Bjork, who yeah now plays for the Sabres, had a shot in the second that almost trickled through. Bjork, again, in overtime, absolutely 
should have put the game away right there. He should have put the game away right there in overtime, and he deked too much. I don't know what it was. He made too much of a move, and he missed a wide-open net, and it should have buried the Bruins in overtime. And you need to, but the the bottom line is that you're in overtime against the Buffalo Sabers, the Buffalo Sabers. The Bruins went to overtime against last night. Fortunately, you got that team left a good amount of times here, but they've gained some confidence in themselves, and they're starting to win a few games. And you better be careful. You better be careful because points are at a, such a premium here in the standings, and you don't want to be losing to the worst team in the league especially when you get to play them five more times. That should be five wins right there. That's got to be five wins. So that's that's that I'm I'm a little worried as far as that's concerned for the Bruins. I I want to see how this whole Taylor Hall thing pans out. What's going on with Tuka Rask? I, I guess we're getting him back this week. I guess he's going to be back for the game tomorrow night. Right? Right, they they got a game. I think it's tomorrow night. They, they and and Rask is going to be back. But one lingering question is: What freaking planet is David Pasternak on? The last couple of weeks, where's he been? Where the, there? There's nothing else to say. It's just where's he been? On the first line, what? I haven't noticed him. He's been a he was a turnover machine last night. He was giving the puck away. He he wasn't doing anything last night. Nothing from David Pasternak. Absolutely nothing. And he's starting to kind of do this once a year. Every single season that we've been absolutely wowed by David Pasternak, we've also seen periods of that season where we're like where is this guy where like what what planet is he on so I need to know where David Pasternak is I need to know what Taylor Hall's ceiling is I need to know how much this is overall going to improve the team and we need to know when Rask is coming back we need to know if Swayman is going to be able to fill the backup role, you know, what's the whole goalie situation look like? All of these questions loom. And the Bruins got to answer all the Bruins have to answer all of them. They got to answer all of them. And it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. I, I don't, and I don't know if they're if they're honestly if they're made for it. It really it's a big question. Are they made for it? The you know these teams in the NHL some some these teams get hot and they go on runs and I'm not going to sit here and say that the Bruins can't do anything, but there's a lot of these teams that it looks like you're still going to have a really hard time with. I mean the Lightning just got Nick Foligno there, and so what does that mean for you? What does it mean when the when the when the Islanders go and 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 nab Travis Zaychak and Kyle Palmieri from the from the Devils? Kyle Palmieri, who the Bruins have struggled with all year, and you see them in the first round of the playoffs, and they've had your number all year. So a lot of questions remain for this team. Can you even get through five more games with the Buffalo freaking Sabres? We'll see. We will see. 
It's a big we'll see. But you gotta you gotta get into the playoffs first, and you gotta you gotta do something in the playoffs first before you have before you can get me to believe in you. Because I, uh, your best players need to come back, and the new players have big roles to fill. And will the goalie, who's been no doubt one of the best goalies, maybe the best goalie in the history of the Bruins, where's he going to be when you absolutely need him? Where's he going to be in Game 7? Where's he going to be in the playoff bubble? It's It's all these questions. It's all these questions with this team, and they just... You, you you feel like you're beating your head against a wall sometimes. But they made a move and they gave you hope and it's a shot in the arm for the team, no doubt. Just how much of a shot really is it? Is it smoke and mirrors or is it is it actually something we can sink our teeth into? Is it actually a deep playoff run that we can have fun with? Is it legitimately giving this core veteran group one more kick at the can with this thing? I don't know, we'll see. All the questions with the Boston Bruins. And that's how they keep me locked in. I got to admit, that's how they do it. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate it sometimes. But, you know, I just, I have to deal with it because it's the team closest to my heart. And it just, um, they, uh, they, they really break it sometimes. They really push me to that breaking point. And I'm hoping that it, it, hope, it, it doesn't get there. At least, at least for quite some time, like at least give me a, a round in the playoffs, and let this team pick it up through the rest of the regular season. And Taylor Hall has got to know that he's salvaging his career at this point. So all that and much more with the Bruins. The questions remain. We will take a break on the other side. Jake's take. We will uh, listen to. We will ring it in with some Van Halen. So uh, don't go anywhere, as we will celebrate the anniversary of Diver Down. It, of course, came out on this day in 1982. That's 39 years ago. Today, the great Van Halen album, Diver Down, it's one of my favorites by theirs. They do, of course, the song Little Guitars, and we'll also hear Pretty Woman, their amazing cover of that song, coming right up on the other side of the break on Jake's Take, and then we will move into some talk about the Boston Celtics. And that guy, Jason Tatum, he's finally decided to wake the hell up, huh? It's coming up on Jake's Take right after this. Don't go anywhere. 91.5 WMLN-FN, Curry College Radio, Milton, Boston. Belichick is is out of his mind. I don't know what's wrong with this guy. Can we please, can we please get rid of this guy? He sucks. You know what? I hate this team. I'm not even a Boston fan anymore. I'm done. I'm done. I can't do it. I can't. You're listening to Jake's Take on Curry College Radio. McCullum reaching for the ball, four on a shot clock. It's got to be Tatum. Stepping to his right, tough three. Got it! A dagger from Jason Tatum. (laughs) With 7.8 to go, makes it a two-possession game. And the Eastern Conference Player of the Week gets a head start on next week's award. That's how you make your week so good. 
game winner. If you listen to Sports Talk Radio here in Boston, and I know you're in Houston, but maybe you can turn in, tune in online or something, but all they talk about is you calling out Jason Tatum and giving you credit for all of this. So, well done. But here's the, th- here's the thing, right? I didn't call him out for us just like as a as a person or attack him personally. I just said right. that, hey, you know, you getting paid the big bucks. And I knew I wouldn't have called him out if I wouldn't have known knew that Jason Tatum didn't have have it in him to elevate his game to another level. And here it is, a quick story, real quick. The thing that I appreciate about Jason Tatum is that he didn't get sensitive. He didn't go back at me on on Twitter or social media. Guess what he did? Guess what ended up happening? We actually had a phone call conversation, and we talked about it. He called me, and we talked about it, and I told him, like, hey, man, I'm a huge fan of yours. I've been a huge fan of yours. I just feel like you have it in you to elevate your game even more. You could get 25 in your sleep, but I have it. I think that you could separate yourself and be up there with the superstars, and I feel like you got more in your team. And he's been doing just that. And I appreciate Jason Tatum because he didn't. we didn't talk and we didn't have a conversation where it was beef. We had a conversation where he just wanted to understand it from where I was coming from. And I got to understand it for how he felt about my comments. And I had to let him know that I was not attacking him personally and that I am a huge fan of his. So that's how real people conversate. And that's how real professionals handle their business, the way that Jason Tatum is doing, not getting all sensitive. Hendrick Perkins there after the call of last night's Celtics game against the Portland Trailblazers. I actually watched the Celtics game last night, people. Can you believe it? Jake Force, I, w- I watched the Celtics game. We're here for the second hour of Jake's Take. Welcome in. If you haven't caught uh, the previous hour of the show, we were talking We were talking Julian Edelman's retirement. We were talking a little Bruins. But on to the Celtics now. I mean, and you heard you heard Kendrick Perkins just now. I mean, that's, um, that's a guy right there. I mean, how can you not have respect for Perk? Kendrick Perkins is just an absolute dude. And... I think him calling out Jason Tatum in the media might be the best thing that happened to the Celtics this year. I'm not lying. Kendrick Perkins calling out Jason Tatum and publicly might have been the best thing to happen to the Celtics all year. I'm not kidding. Because look at how Tatum has played. Look at the resurgence that he has played with. The urgency in his game, you can just tell. You can tell that something got to him. You can tell that something changed with him. And it's showing, I mean, he had, what was it, 53 points against the worst team in the league. And I I mean, I guess you could say he went off that night. i be honest, I didn't catch that game. But he... he he had someone in his ear and it finally or not in his ear someone exposed him and finally you know it it got to him it got to him and i'm glad that you're seeing jason tatum play better but is that really what it takes does it take kendrick perkins calling you out on social media 
Is that really what it is? And look how he's performing lately right after this happens. And, and Kendrick Perkins says that he calls him on the phone and everything. But to reach out to a guy like Kendrick Perkins and say, Perk, what can I do? Why why didn't Jason Tatum do that a lot earlier? So it, it's good that he's waking the hell up because the team desperately needs that. You, you need your best player to be there mentally. You need him to be checked in and you need him to be in the right headspace. But this is what I hate about the modern NBA. Is that why is this what it takes to get a guy in his zone? Why does it take getting called out on Twitter? Like it just is a it it just makes me sick to my stomach to see this kind of stuff. Didn't you watch that that last dance documentary and realize what it takes to get you in the mindset? Jordan would listen to things that that other players said and that, you know, he would have conversations with people and like he would he was a, a a motivator that way. Like he would motivate himself by motivating his teammates and all of that kind of stuff the way that he motivated himself like can't what you're not emulating that like in the slightest. Jason Tatum's a big Kobe Bryant guy. I mean, he he hasn't been acting like a Kobe Bryant type of guy. He doesn't realize that that's not who he is. He's not at that level yet. And I think that getting called out publicly by Perk made him wake up a little bit. And that's good. You it's a good thing. But it shows what kind of a fringe team this is. They're absolutely, you know, they, the the whole town is, is dumping on them one night and then the next night everybody loves them. And it just, they're, they're such a hot and cold team. They're such a hot and cold team. The problem with the Celtics is identity and inconsistency. I mean, J- Jason Tatum is like, he's got the whole town talking about how he needs to grow the hell up. He's got, he's not responding to Danny Ainge and he's isn't responding to Brad Stevens. But, oh, Kendrick Perkins sends out a tweet and now you're on the phone with him asking for advice. Like, what? what is that? Can you stay, like, get off of your phones for a second and focus on the real thing, which is the game. Focus on all that other crap, that other outside crap, which is so much of what the NBA has become. And, and God, I just, I can't stand it. It really just sucks. It sucks. And, and you know, like I said, Jason Tatum, big Kobe Bryant guy, and he's not really emulating Kobe Bryant right now. Could this still be because, you know, the Kobe thing is getting to him because he was, because he you know, had a relationship with Kobe and all of that kind of stuff. Like, is is that still what's getting to him? I saw this thing, the, the Athletic put this thing out today that said he's still using an inhaler because of having COVID and all of this. And I'm just saying, Kendrick Perkins called him out on Twitter and he's suddenly playing a lot better. So process that as you will. But you know what I process that as? What I process that as 
is a guy who isn't motivated unless it's that type of thing. Unless it's getting called out on Twitter by a former player. You know, why aren't you responding to your coach? Why aren't you responding to your GM? Why does it take this? So I think that's the biggest question with the Celtics. I think that if everything's in line, I think that you got a shot at beating the Sixers this year. I just, I think the Sixers, I think Doc Rivers went in there and he really turned that whole thing around. And the Sixers are, uh, he, he, he got to Joel Embiid. And the Sixers are now a contender. And they've lapped you. They've catapulted you out of that spot in the East. So what's your answer, Celtics, huh? What's your answer? I watched the team last night. I caught a bit of the Nuggets game. And that was quite a storm back in the fourth quarter of that Nuggets game against the team that had had won something like eight in a row. And they're showing good flashes like that. Of course, the Nuggets didn't have Jamal Murray, and Jamal Murray came back last night and and tore his ACL. So that obviously I happened to be watching when that happened. It was a it was he landed on that thing pretty pretty hard. So um, my thoughts are with Jamal Murray because that was a, that looked like a tough injury, and I I hope he's able to make a speedy recovery. But those torn ACLs, it's it's tough, and that it really he looked like he was in a lot of pain when that happened. So. Yeah, uh, make sure you read up about Jamal Murray if you're following the NBA because it's a it's a big story out there in the West. But I watched the Celtics last night, and it was a good complete game effort. And if you can put games like that together, if you don't let guys like Carmelo Anthony score 26 or whatever it was off the bench, and I know he's Carmelo, he's still going to have games like that, but you just got to play a complete game. Some of these games that where they've fallen apart in the fourth quarter or where where other teams have fallen apart in the fourth quarter it just goes to show you how how volatile that that end of third quarter lead is and it really doesn't it doesn't mean anything it really doesn't mean anything so it, it it's something it's something you got to be you got to be careful of but the problem with the Celtics is identity and inconsistency one night they're legitimately have you thinking that they can make a run to the east finals and then the next night you have you find yourself hate watching them and storming away from the TV a team that has no identity, identity, and is is not a recipe for success. And Danny Ainge has has built them into a, I think, top four Eastern Conference club. But they need to start playing like a top four Eastern Conference club. And Marcus Smart, you know what he did this week? He started letting Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown take some of the shots, and it helped them. And he made some shots himself, and he was back to his good. The good Marcus Smart that we like from to see. So I'm gonna be looking for more of that. But Marcus Smart is is on a short leash with me. I'm about to I'm about to really lose interest. So we will uh, we will take a break. That's your Celtics coverage for Jake's take this week. We will take a break. Uh, when we come back, I'll talk about the team that is quite possibly the hottest team in baseball. So you're not gonna to want to miss that. Um, but on April 14th today, actually, in 1980, 41 years ago today, Judas Priest, a great one of the great metal bands of all time, released uh, their great album, British Steel, which featured a sports arena favorite, and it's a sports show, so had to play it here on Jake's Take. We'll talk about the Red Sox when we come back after Judas Priest and maybe a couple of more tunes if I'm feeling it. Don't go anywhere. 
Belichick is is out of his mind. I don't know what's wrong with this guy. Can we please, can we please get rid of this guy? He sucks. You know what? I hate this team. I'm not even a Boston fan anymore. I'm done. I'm done. I can't do it. I can't. You're listening to Jake's Take on Curry College Radio. Matt Barnes with the 0-2 to Garver. High fly ball. This one into left. That should do it. Verdugo backing up a bit. And the Red Sox have made it seven in a row. They come to Minnesota and knock off the Twins. 4-2. The final score. Boy, the bottom of the order really got it done today. 4-2 the final. them Red Sox How about them Red Sox welcome back into Jake's take yeah it's time to talk about those Boston Red Sox how about them Red Sox they're on a nine game tear it's up to nine now that's the commentary from last from uh, uh, yesterday's game how about those Red Sox now I will say you know <laughs> as Tony Maz said today on the sports hub keep it in your pants with the Red Sox this season you know, they they and and Adam Jones. I heard him on the sports hub just now. He said they had a they had a, a, a an eleven game winning streak in twenty sixteen. That team sucked. So, you know, be careful. That's all I'm saying. Be careful. Uh, you know, you never you, you never know what turns a baseball season can take. But the Red Sox are playing the baseball. That they should right now. Alex Verdugo has a hot bat. J.D. Martinez is an absolute dog offensively. Rafael Devers have, has come alive offensively. The Red Sox are giving me something to watch. And really, that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted. I just wanted something to watch from the Boston Red Sox this year. And so far, we've gotten it. So I'm excited for that, and you should be too. But don't go saying that they're the best team in baseball right now. They're the hottest team in baseball right now. That doesn't mean they're the best. It's April. Don't get ahead of yourselves. Don't get your hopes up while, you know, before you should. Let's get into the summer before we start talking about, you know, a legitimate baseball season. But for right now, they're giving you a baseball season. Could be a lot different a few months from now. But as for right now, we've got a baseball season, and that's something to feel excited about. So that's where I'm happy. Tony Maz, you know, who was a long, has been a longtime baseball writer, you know, writes in the on the Sports Hub website. You know, he's he's obviously a radio personality there, but uh, he's got a, a few things with the Red Sox, and just I want to go through this. Um. He's, Maz says, "Don't look now, but the Red Sox are bringing actual baseball back to Boston." Uh, in case you're wondering, the Minnesota Twins aren't a doormat, and that's true. They're, it's 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 not a bad team. Um, since the start of this uh, of the twenty since the start of 2019, entering yesterday, the Twins had won more regular season games than anybody but the Los Angeles Dodgers. Historically, Minnesota has been a meat locker for the Red Sox, inside or out, which is to say they usually have lost at the Metrodome or at Target Field. 
but you know, and Maz goes goes on um, to quote Alex Cora here. He said, "Alex Cora said, we still know we have to keep getting better. We still have to work." Manager Alex Cora said following yesterday's four to two victory over the Twins, but we feel like we beat a team like that. That's a good baseball team. Yes, it's still early, but the Sox went over the Twins. Was their seventh straight and now ninth straight. Fifth come from behind fifth from come and come from behind fashion was yesterday. And while gleaning anything from small sample sizes, Maz writes, is always dangerous, there are some early signs here that are worthy of note. For starters, they're not striking out much, and that's true. Um you know that and, and Maz, how's that a how's that for a middle finger to the uh to the modern game right Maz writes yeah that's true through their first ten games the Red Sox have the highest batting average in the American League while ranking dead last in walks and posting the third fewest strikeouts that means that they put the ball in play and I I I like that you know we're playing baseball here that's what I like and you know what's good about teams that put the ball in play a lot is that they're a pain in the ass to play against. You don't want to you you don't want to get caught up in a game in series with a team that is making you run all around the field and then you get up to the bat and you you know you're tired swinging the bat and you can't run the base like it's it's a legitimate thing in baseball. A team that puts the play, the ball in play a lot is annoying to play against. And it's entertaining to watch too. Maz also writes they still hit for power. Right now, the Red Sox rank third in the American League in home runs, first in doubles, first in slugging percentage, and despite the absence of walks, first in OPS. Which I still, I still don't get the OPS thing. I, I still don't try to explain it to me. Uh, OPS is a, a weird stat for me. I, I, I never understood it. Um, Maz writes the nerds are probably squirming about this because they deem it unsustainable, and they might be right. But if Bobby Bobby Dahlbeck's two opposite field doubles didn't give you a tingle yesterday, you're dead inside. <laughs> Maz is funny here. Um, he also writes that the starting pitching has been solid. So these are all pretty much things that that you know that I really believe. Like, and Maz is always Tony Maz is always right on with the Red Sox. Um, and we we can we can maybe pull up what Jared Carabas has been saying in the future shows because uh, he's a good voice and I want to start, you know, kind of factoring in what he has to say because he's a big Red Sox guy. Jared Carabas of Barstool Sports, he's very informed on the team. Um, but, you know, the starting pitching, been really good. Nathan Uvalde throwing the ball hard and throwing with a purpose. Like, I was watching him today and he just has such command over his pitches. It's It's a pleasure to watch. It's fun to watch. I like watching this guy pitch. Maserite Sox starters currently ranked ninth in the AL in ERA, which certainly isn't great, but the number is misleading thanks to the train wreck that was Garrett Richards' outgoing uh, outing. Sorry, in the third game of the year, in ten games, Richards is the only starter who has failed to last at least five innings. Generally speaking, they've thrown strikes and kept the ball in the ballpark. That's you know, and that's that's good. The one worry is the bullpen. And they haven't lost a game yet, but the bullpen, they've had to go to the bullpen a lot. And I don't know how much the Red Sox have a bullpen that you can count on, 
But Matt Barnes, I know that he gives me confidence. Phillips Valdez uh, is is shaky, and I'm still really not familiar with the with the rest of the guys. Um, I probably should be, but you know, I I never like relying on the bullpen too much. It just is uh it it's never it's never a good thing to do, and with the Red Sox, it's been a historically bad, um, you know been a historically bad thing to do to lean on the bullpen it hasn't worked so as far as the bullpen goes like I I don't know I it it really it it depends on on how much we see them but I don't want to have to rely on them a lot Maserites don't underestimate the importance of a team's one lost record in the bullpen especially in the analytics age the Red Sox are three and oh which is a huge factor in their seven and three record. Flip that number in their four and six. The bullpen wins means you're coming off. Uh, me, me, bullpen wins means you're coming from behind. Bullpen losses mean you're blowing leads. The one thing that you should be a little worried about is the number of innings that go to relievers. So there, there you go. Like I'm concerned about how much the Red Sox are having to rely on the bullpen. And, and, you know, in the last thing that Maz points out here is situationally, they've been pretty good. I've said it before and I'll say it again at bats with two outs and runners in scoring position are the baseball equivalent of third down in football. Yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a really good way to put it, Maz. Thus far, Red Sox pitchers have held opposition, have held the opposition to a 174 average fifth lowest in the league in that situation. You know, so so basically that translates to you football people. The Red Sox have been solid on third down. That's basically how that translates to you football people. Um, the Red Sox have been have been good on third down. Um, they've hit 267, which is the fourth best in the league. And that's basically a 100 point difference, which is no small thing. Maz writes again, maybe it's sustainable. Maybe it isn't. But for now, celebrate it. Because the Red Sox, uh, you know, the the Red Sox are giving you something to watch. They're giving you something to watch. They're giving you something to sink your teeth into. And for that, you should be excited. You should at least be excited for that. And a couple of other things that I've noticed, you know, Rafael Devers has just completely come alive offensively. Had a huge rip into into the outfield today for a, a key RBI in um I think it was that that second twins game I mean he's been really good lately they've won nine straight now and I'm just starting to feel confidence about the team Nathan Yavaldi throwing solid stuff and winning games the bullpen hasn't lost yet and Alex Cora is taking that mentality of how they can't take anything for granted because they aren't good enough they really aren't good enough to do that so I'm glad that that Alex Cora is is doing that and I'm glad that you know that the Red Sox are are heading are trending in an up direction, so it you know that's that's always good to see. Um, we'll take a break on Jake's take. We're going to do a lot of music for the rest of the show. I do have a couple of things for you though coming up in the next half hour or so, next uh, twenty four minutes here. I'll tell you why I'm starting to just really hate the the guys who own professional sports franchises. I'll tell you about that, Um, give you a Deshaun Watson update and tonight's last take. 
how are we going to fix video review? We'll talk about all of that in the next 24 minutes. For right now, though, it's time to celebrate what is the... What is it? Uh, it? The album came out, Leonard Skinner's Second Helping, that came out on April 15th, 1974. And I'm really stupid, so I don't know how many years that is. April, uh, so it's 2021 minus 1974. Um, and it's a 40, 47. I blanked on that one. That was a bad math on my part. 47 years old. Um, it featured... The song Call Me the Breeze, which we'll play next, but the one that all of you know, that everybody knows, that I was debating whether or not I wanted to play it on my show because I hear it so much on the radio. But here it is from uh, Leonard Skinner's Second Helping, uh, the great Leonard Skinner album that will be celebrating its 47th uh, uh, anniversary release, release anniversary date uh, tomorrow, April 15th, 1974. Call Me the Breeze was one of the good ones, but this is the one that you all know. So we'll do this and Call Me the Breeze, and then we'll be back on Jake's tape. Don't go anywhere. Belichick is is out of his mind. I don't know what's wrong with this guy. Can we please, can we please get rid of this guy? He sucks. You know what? I hate this team. I'm not even a Boston fan anymore. I'm done. I'm done. I can't do it. I can't. You're listening to Jake's Take on Curry College Radio. All right, back here on Jake's Take for the final 10 minutes, taking you up till 11 p.m. Uh, just a couple of things I wanted to touch on here in the last uh, last couple of minutes. A um, couple of big stories, mostly around the NFL. There's an update on this Deshaun Watson situation. The Aaron Reese continuous updated piece in the athletic it's a timeline by texans texans reporter aaron reese for the athletic he writes the the texans already dramatic offseason took a sudden and serious turn we all know that um you know uh, it, you know in march and everything we've talked about that on the show since mid-march uh this has been going on with the sean watson of course houston attorney tony busby announced in an instagram post that he was filing uh a suit against Deshaun Watson since then Busby has filed more than 20 civil lawsuits according uh, accusing the Texans quarterback of sexual assault and sexual misconduct in the NFL and the Houston Police Department are conducting investigations um through a social media post Watson has denied any wrongdoing and through a social media post and his attorney um the 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 problem here is that Today, 20 women, for Deshaun Watson anyway, the problem here, is that 20 women have identified themselves as plaintiffs in civil lawsuits accusing Watson of sexual assault and sexual misconduct. 
Another is expected to do so by Thursday after a Wednesday afternoon hearing on the matter was called off, according to a spokesperson from Watson's legal team. All 22 women originally filed their civil complaints as Jane Doe's, and one has now elected not to pursue her case, citing privacy and security concerns. State District Judges Dedra Davis and Rabia Sultan Collier ruled Friday that 12 previously unidentified women had to attach their names to their suits, and another agreed to do so in advance of a similar hearing on the matter. Two other Watson accusers, Ashley Solis and Lauren Baxley, have already come forward publicly, leaving even leaving seven anonymous plaintiffs entering the weekend. So this is this is starting to pile up for Deshaun Watson. And I'll tell you something right now. It kind of disgusts me when I go in the comments of some of these posts. Like KFC Barstool did a thing on it. He did a, a very insightful thing about like that one minute man episode that he always does. Very insightful thing. It's a it's like a whole update on what's going on with the Deshaun Watson situation. And people in the comments. I mean, you people in the comments of posts like that, you disgust me. You disgust me. I mean, like, oh, they just everybody just wants a bag, huh? And it's kind of funny when they when they find out that the that the lawyer for these women is used to be neighbors with the Texans owner and and all that kind of stuff. Like, bro, there's 22 lawsuits, and now most of the women have have come forward and identified themselves. So you can't be sitting there and telling me that this isn't starting to look bad for Deshaun Watson. You can't sit there and tell me that there's not some, at least some skepticism over what kind of person he really is. Okay. We can't just be pretending like there's no validity to this at all, people. All right. This is a serious situation. It's a big story. And. You, you just got to let the day, you got to let everybody have their day in court. You got to let everybody have their day in court. So that's my thing with the Deshaun Watson situation. I didn't want to spend too much time in the my last couple of minutes here delving into that. What I do want to dive into is how much sports owners suck. Sports owners are some of the worst people in the world. And, you know, I read this thing again from The Athletic about the Philadelphia Eagles this week. And what the hell's happened to that team since that Super Bowl just a few years ago against the Patriots? What What's happened? Paranoia, mismanagement, and office politics inside the Eagles' downfall under Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman. And this is a, this is a big, long article, but there's just a couple of things here. You know, during that season where... Um, you know, the team was was on a Super Bowl run and playing well and having problems with injuries at quarterback with Carson Wentz and everything and having to bring Nick Foles in. And one source told The Athletic, who, who, who former staffers um, and 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 all of it, I guess they the the athletic talked to a bunch of former staffers. Uh, Peterson, Doug Peterson, the coach, was ridiculed and criticized for every decision. If you won by three, it wasn't enough. If you lost on the last second field goal, you were the worst coach in history. 
and you know, it just it just kind of delves into and and I'll, uh, I don't really have a lot of time to discuss the whole article, and I'm not going to read the thing to you, but it basically delves into how Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman only answer to each other now in that Philadelphia Eagles organization. And Jeffrey Lurie himself even admitted that Doug Peterson didn't deserve to get fired after this past season, but that the two just had philosophical differences. Well, here we go again. With the, in this case, the rich Hollywood film producer who thinks he knows how to build a football team, who thinks he knows how to scout, who thinks all of it, who thinks he knows everything. You need to let the football people manage the football side of the operation. That's how it has to go. And the Philadelphia Eagles are the latest team. The Houston Texans have fallen victim to it. The Dallas Cowboys. So many of these teams. And they they, they, they continue to, to fall on their face because guys in suits want to run the team. And guys down on the field say, no, 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 you don't know what you're doing. I'm sick of this dynamic in professional sports. I really am. But there's it's it's a great article on the athletic. You should really read it. It's called it's um it's called Paranoia, Mismanagement, and Office Politics. And basically Doug Peterson, even when he was winning, had to go into Jeffrey Lurie's office every Tuesday morning and be absolutely ridiculed whether he won or lost the game. Because Jeffrey Lurie wanted to get his analytics side into it. And Howie Roseman was the same way. The GM. He wants to get his analytics side into it. Analytics people, it's killing sports. All of this math and the technology too. It's it's a blessing and it's a curse. But the analytics side, it's killing sports. Killing sports. And it kind of segues me into into tonight's last take, which is... What are we going to do? What are we going to do about instant replay? About video review? I don't know if you, if if anybody caught this, but I actually happened to be watching the other night when this happened. It was a Atlanta Braves and Philadelphia Phillies game. It was in Atlanta, and it was in extra innings. The game was tied at six. It was, I believe, the top of the 10th or 11th inning. And the Phillies were at bat. And a runner came home. And a throw was made to home. And the runner was called safe. Here's the problem. The play was taken to video review. And we actually came to see that there was no one. There was, or I'm sorry, there was no contact of home plate from the base runner. It was slowed down in video review. There was not one single touch from the base runner to home plate. Not one. He didn't even touch it with the hair on his finger. And they took this to video review. And they called this man safe. They called him safe. And they went to video review and they knew that was the wrong call. So I just, I, it, it, 
it infuriates me. It literally infuriates me. What are we going to do about video review and how we don't know when to use it? Certain things we don't allow to be used. We don't allow it to be used. And it's like we should. Certain situations, things are unreviewable and they should be reviewable. And then a lot of times when we go to review, we see what the right call is and we still don't make the right call. So, when are we going to fix this? Who's going to come up with the real solution? I don't know. Maybe we'll see it in the coming weeks. But for now, it's time for me to get out of here. Uh, I'm going to leave you with some ACDC. We'll, uh, we'll be back here next week, same day, same time on Jake's Take. Catch the podcast if you didn't get the whole show tonight. Um, Patriots got some big stuff coming forward. We'll see what happens with the Bruins. Can the Celtics form an identity? And will the Red Sox continue the big tear? We'll discuss it next week, Wednesday night, 9 to 11 on WMLN, Curry College Radio, Jake's Take. I'm Jake Force. I got to get out of here. We'll see you next week. Peace. Yeah.